This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. In the prologue of his book, The Roads to Hillbrow, Making Life in South Africa's Community of Migrants, co-author Ron Nerio writes as follows, and I quote, For 23 years, I longed to revisit South Africa. I wanted to see Hillbrow again. When I knew it in 1990, the one-mile strip of dense urban landscape was the most exciting neighborhood I'd ever seen. End quote. I'm delighted to have Ron as my guest now uh, to join me and tell me more about when you did visit. Ron, um, that paragraph there, that those sentences there, I'm sure resonate for so many Joe Burgers, um who, who are listening to the show and are thinking, oh, my gosh, we used to go to Hillbrow when we were young. We used to go to the record shops and bookshops and all the rest. Tell me what your allure to, to Hillbrow was. Thank you so much, Cherise. I, my allure to Hillbrow was that it defied all of my expectations about where I was visiting. Uh, I had come from uh, from the University of Michigan uh, at the Flint campus in Michigan uh, to uh, do a thesis on uh, on politics in in South Africa, and I someone found me accommodation in Hillbrow, and Everything about Hillbrow defied my expectations. Uh, it was, uh, in, an incredibly open, mingle, you know, place where everyone was mingling. Uh, and, uh, as you mentioned, yes, the record shops, the bookstores, the, um, bars, clubs, uh, coffee shops, etc. It was all extremely exciting. Uh, but it also, um, as John Connie says in one of the interviews in the books, it was this, postcard of a of an imagined uh future for South Africa that was um uh was non-racial and was um non-sexist non-homophobic it was um uh, what can i say other than that it was the it was um i i wanted to spend the rest of my life there how long were you in hilbra for so I was only there for six months, uh, and when I say spend the rest of my life there, someone did offer me uh, a job at a, a publication that he was just starting, and but I was very young. I was 20 years old. I hadn't finished my degree, and I really did debate staying, and uh, I actually ended up going back to Michigan, and then I didn't see Hillbrow again for 23 years. So tell me a little bit about what made you long to come back before we get into what you saw 23 years later. Well, one of the things was is that because there was no internet uh, when when I left, there was no way of keeping in touch with uh, with all of the changes that any neighborhood goes through, and so I didn't know what had become of Hillbrow. And uh, someone, I, I had a friend come back uh, from visiting Johannesburg. And when he said, I just got back from Johannesburg, I said, oh, did you go here? Did you go to this place or that place? And he said, well, you understand that all of that has changed. None of those places are there anymore. And uh, then he used the term that you will sometimes hear about Hillbrow. He used that term, the no-go zone. He wasn't at first describing Hillbrow, though. He didn't mention that specifically. He just mentioned the center city. And I said, but surely that didn't happen to Hillbrow. 
And he said, especially Hillbrow, which made me intensely curious. Well, what does that mean to people? Uh, who's using that term and, uh, why is it describing, uh, someone's perceived reality of this, of this space that I once found so, so incredible. And so I chose to go back. I was only going for a visit. I was going to go for a few days. And uh, I began speaking to people and once again just found it the most interesting, but now for very different reasons, uh, place that I had seen. So, Ron, when was the, the uh, so you're there in the early 90s. When did you go back? So uh, the, the first time back uh, was in 2013. And I had no idea at that point that I would be writing a book about it. Now I'm actually writing two more books in addition to this one. Uh, it only started dawning on me as I went back for a second time and then I started going regularly. Those conversations that I kept having, having with people who were either living in Hillbrow or uh, who had lived in Hillbrow in the past made me decide I've, I have to write about this. You came back in 2013 and then subsequent times. What did you find that, that kind of moved you the most or shocked you the most? Well, um, many, many. So I ended up interviewing over 100 people, and uh, I'd have to say all of their stories were incredibly moving to me. Uh, one uh, was the journeys that people took to to move to Hillbrow in, say, over the last several decades, um, and then uh, some of the decisions that people made to leave Hillbrow, uh, even if they had at one point thought that that's where they would be spending the rest of their lives. Um, one particularly moving place, if I had to just sort of mention one kind of spot. Uh, I, even before I saw it, uh, after I realized all the changes that happened, had happened to Hillbrow, I read a little, uh, article in, in a magazine, uh, about Temple Israel. And I was absolutely, uh, astonished that there was still a, a you know, it was this historical continuity, right? All the way from 1936, still going to the present, uh, after all the incredible changes and evolutions that happened to Johannesburg, uh, here's a synagogue, the mother synagogue, uh, and, uh, of the progressive movement. And, uh, it was, you know, it was a place once attended by hundreds of people, uh, at a service. Now it's down to a small number, but it's an equal sized congregation of uh, white and black Jewish people, uh, Jewish people from uh, other parts of the African continent, uh, and then others who can trace their heritage back to uh, Lithuania and other parts of Eastern Europe. And I just thought this was, this was incredible. This was deeply moving. So I, uh, every time I go, I always attend the services. Uh, I've had the privilege to uh, attend uh, many of the holiday services, and it's it's just incredible. And I know 
just about all the congregation members uh, by face and name. That is incredible. And we, we have to actually give a call out to Reva Foreman, who has kept it going and has made it relevant and continues to make it relevant. So really a shout out to Reva. It is now also a heritage site, which um, means that it cannot be tampered with. So she has really worked enormously hard to ensure that. Ron, 2013, I'm just trying to think, is that the time when Heilbra was always in the news on uh, was New Year's Day for throwing appliances out, out of the windows? Because I, I never really understood that part of it. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, so I, that practice was already starting to come to an end. But, yes, it had this reputation for these big New Year's Day, New Year's Eve celebrations. Uh, and uh, one of the reasons I think that that happened was um, many buildings had been abandoned, uh, at least temporarily. And so people who had left those buildings left furniture behind and some of these very tall floors um, were no longer because elevators weren't working anymore. And, you know, so um, people would get a little you know, rambunctious and excited uh, at, at New Year's Eve and then, you know, sort of go up there and just decide to, you know, sort of throw a couch or a refrigerator or, a, you know, sort of a box of something uh, off the terraces. And it was incredibly dangerous. <laughs> I, and, and, you know, obviously a sort of eye-catching thing. So I got a lot of press. Um, but then I also had people that I interviewed who told me, you know what, um, Hillbrow is still stuck with that reputation, even though that practice has, had already ended several years before I got there. Uh, yeah, no, it is. I mean, it does show the continuous evolution of what's happening. I mean, I, I remember the first year that it didn't, and I was like, I was expecting to hear that on the news. It's like part of my, you know, <laughs> celebratory of the new year kind of news. You know, you get, you get into the, the pattern of things, the routine of things. And which shows that Hillbra continues to evolve. When was the last time you visited? So I was just there uh, about six, I guess it's been about five weeks ago. Um, so I, I, COVID blocked me from going for about a, a year and a half. Uh, but as soon as travel restrictions started to lift, I've already been back twice this year. Uh, and then I've got plans to go back in January because the, so the the book, The Roads to Hillbrow, that's just come out, uh, was based on research that I did at, from 2013 up until uh, roughly 2020. I left Hillbrow the last time before this year uh, in January 2020, not knowing a pandemic was spreading around the world. So this book doesn't cover that except for a small ep- epilogue. So the reason I'm going back now is this follow-up that will look at all of the ways that COVID has uh, uh, has kind of really unsettled and changed the neighborhood, uh, even though there is still some continuity, Temple Israel being once again one of those places. Right. Um, between 2013 and 2020, wh- what were the major shifts? So I, I think the, the major shifts were that, um, you know, as the subtitle says, uh, making life in South Africa's community of migrants. Uh, it, it, I wouldn't describe it necessarily as a shift because by that point, uh, 
Hillbrow had become this community of migrants. But there were new people continuing to come. The the balance of who was living there continued to shift. Uh, uh, more and more Zimbabweans uh, were coming. Uh, more of the uh, of the earlier migrants uh, that were from other parts of Africa, particularly Nigeria and the DRC, were starting to go to other surrounding areas. Uh, so that's one of the big shifts. Um, uh, also, of course, the out-migration. Many people who had been living in Hillbrow uh, were moving for, leaving for the northern suburbs or, uh, or passing away as they were, as they were becoming much older. There was, um, you probably know about the work of uh, Shevra Kadisa, uh, who have been going into uh, Hillbrow buildings and apartments and finding elderly people who, um, by that point, you know, were not even necessarily always knowing what was going on, but just sort of uh, helping them move to more secure spaces. So there's always this continuous churn. Along with that churn are all of these uh, organizations and uh, and other people who are uh, helping new people get settled, uh, helping people adjust, helping parents find uh, uh, education for their children, uh, helping you know in other kinds of ways like um, uh, everything from you know, uh, housing. Of course, is incredibly uh, difficult uh, finding safe and and um, adequate housing. So. Those ch- those changes are continuously happening. Uh, I mean, survival questions, please. Survival questions. I mean, you know, you, I mean, you talk about migrants. It's always been a place for migrants, and you mentioned the Jewish community coming in there. Uh, and the fact that you're writing a book post-COVID is indicative of the fact that it has changed once again and continues to do so. But I only have time, I think, for one more question, Ron. And I think it would be, you spoke about the 1990s, it being, an, and I quote you, the one mile strip of dense urban landscape, somehow being different from the rest of Joburg. And I wonder to what extent it continues to be different from the rest of Joburg, or to what extent it is part of what, Joburg now is and whether it still has its unique personality. Yeah, I think it's actually both of those. I think it is still unique in the sense that, first of all, the verticality, all the very tall buildings give it a density and give it a, a sort of vibrancy and a life that is different from, you know, sort of communities with, with uh, lower buildings. Uh, and that density also makes it a 24 hour community. Uh, people, there, there's a, a, you know, sort of pedestrian life on the streets in a way that many other less populated neighborhoods don't have. And people are out all the time, uh, mixing and, um, shopping, going to entertainment spaces. I think in a way that is different from other parts of the fabric of the city. It's intense, um, uh, sort of concentration of migrants makes it a little bit different, but of course, many of the su- surrounding neighborhoods also uh, are that. So it's both different and also very much a part of the fabric of Johannesburg. When did you say you were next visiting? My next visit is in January. 
And I'm hoping to come back uh, several times uh, next year uh, because I want to get that book done much more quickly than this one. Ron, well, I, I hope to speak to you then and get, get a further update on what you've discovered because, I, yeah, I mean, all countries, I suppose, are in constant flux, but South Africa seems to be in constant flux even quicker than any other country. And you know. <laughs> Yes, I, I agree. And um, Hillbrow is one of those places that, you know, so many of our community have come through and, and still have nostalgic feelings towards but I imagine so many more communities do so now, so it'll be, be nice to get that update. Ron, um, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Sharice. It's been a real pleasure. That was Ron Nera talking about his book, the, uh, the co-author. He is the co-author to the book, The Roads to Hillbrow, Making Life in South Africa's Community of Migrants.